Hello? Who is it? The church is closed. No one is allowed inside. I said... Oh, goodness. It's just you two. The story must be told, Pastor Andrew. The story must be told, Sister Callista. The story must be told, Brother Reed. The story must be told, Brother Reed. I'm guessing you guys can't sleep either. Yeah, I toss, I turn. Restless Reed Syndrome. That's what the doc would tell me, you betcha. I don't know. It just feels so empty in the church. I hate to say it, but I miss the congregants. I think I miss the story most of all. Ah, Sister Callista, Brother Reed, don't get dumb in the dumpster. We don't need a whole congregation or the story choir or (sighs) the donation basket. Don't you know, any time two or more people gather in the name of the story, the story's gonna get you. The story's gonna get you. (laughs) Boy, if that isn't true. Even when you're isolated out in the middle of nowhere... You know, it reminds me of... Nah, you wouldn't be interested. It's just a story. The story story must must be told. told. (laughs) All right, all right. Pop a sweet little squat, and I'll tell you the story. This was back before last winter. We had our first frost that morning. All the insects died. So the morning she arrived was silent. I could hear a car climb the gravel to my shack in the story woods. I wasn't expecting visitors. Nuh-uh, no sir. Through the screen door, I saw her, sitting in the car, head on the steering wheel, rubbing it back and forth like she was trying to wipe her face off. It was dark inside my desolate shack, so I just watched. I listened. I could hear her. It was a busy day for me. The cellar was now, because of the cold, full of insects to baptize. I had services to prepare, petitions to write, and a story brewing in my heart. Something told me I wouldn't get to any of that. Hello? The woman whispered. She didn't even take the steps, just stood from the gravel. I walked to the door, and she looked me up and down far too familiar for my taste. I had the feeling of being undressed, inspected. Read, she said. Not hello, not hi, not even my full title. Uh, Brother Reed, I told her. She said, may I come in? I didn't recognize her from the congregation, but, you know, I'm clergy. (laughs) I couldn't exactly turn her away. And deny someone the story? So I waved her in. I could see her in the light now. She was older, late 60s, short, pale complexion. She wore bifocals that enlarged her pupils whenever she studied something for detail, the way she was studying my face. I turned away. made me uncomfortable. You want a crow croa? I offered, trying to be polite. I have some boiling on the stove. And then her cold, frail arms squeezed me from behind. Little rabbit, was all she said. She squeezed me so hard, I couldn't breathe. I grabbed her wrists and yanked, but she hung on. Little rabbit! 
rabbit. She said in pain, and I twisted at her fingers and stomped on her foot. Finally, she let go, and I twisted around, pointing my finger in her face. Do not touch me. She seemed to understand, but as I approached the pot of boiling soda, she again came near. I held the pot by the handle, ready to swing. Please, don't hurt me, little rabbit. Why do you keep saying that? And she got all flustered. Little rabbit. Little rabbit! That's... That's what we used to call you. She gave me the most pitiful expression. Lip jutting out, eyes squinting red, hands ringing together. So I started laughing. (laughs) The sound of my laughter tore at her, so I kept going. (laughs) No one used to call me anything. I am Brother Reed, the Big R, the Reedster, Reedamundo, Big Brother R-B-B, and that is all I am. I turned my back on her, thinking that would have settled everything. You never expect violence from the meek, but she hit me. Sweaty palms slap in the back of my head over and over. How could you do this? Slap, slap. How could you do this? I grabbed her wrist, but this time shoved her. Nuh-uh. This visit was over. I told her, you lost your crocroa. That is for guests with respect. And her mood changed again. It was fear in her eyes as she lunged forwards. For slight old woman, she possessed sudden speed and power. It was 1995, and we went to Florida. You told Dad you were thirsty, so he went to get you a pop. She forced me against the wall. Strong old lady. Her hands hadn't been washed in days. I could see the sediment and dried blood under her nails as she rubbed her palms over my face. I'm screaming, ah, ah, up and down my cheeks, cupping my chin, ah, fingers trying to open my lips. And he waited for 30 minutes in this long line, she said, and finally came back with a prepsy. And you started crying. But I wanted water. We were right next to a water fountain the whole time. And she let go. She backed away and tried to laugh, but it was this hollow sound. (laughs) I could see the distance in her eyes. She was reliving this moment. I changed my approach. I walked to her calmly and steadied her with hands over her shoulders. Ma'am, I said, please... Leave the stories to me. She came in for a hug, and like a good alley-oop, I caught her momentum and tossed her to the door. Bye-bye. Boy, she flew, and she was crying, all while airborne, saying nonsense. Little rabbit, don't you remember me? She was loud now, and she must have woken charms. Right as I'm about to slam the door, she went quiet eyes trained over my shoulder. I turned around, and sure enough, Shalms, the drippy child of the story, was staring at her. Little reader rabbit? She said, so quiet I could barely hear. And Shalms did the strangest thing. 
He lifted both arms like supporting a pile of logs and ran to the warm voice with a garbled cry. Nope, I screamed and slammed that door. Well, she still wasn't done. She ran to the window, and before I dropped the curtain, she looked me dead in the eyes. Then she looked at Shalms, at me, at me, at Shalms, and said through the glass, What are you? I laughed again. (laughs) Just a humble servant of the story. After that day, every false holiday, Christmas, Easter, and for some reason, every September 3rd, I receive a package on my porch. Each one is not addressed to me, but to Little Rabbit. Shalms always cries when I throw them away. He stares out the window sometimes, looks so sad. I opened the next box she sent. Inside, candy and a note saying, We miss you. (laughs) What a dummy. Thank you, Brother Reed. I feel calmer already. (laughs) Nothing like a spoonful of story to soothe the jitters. (laughs) Also, how did you make the music happen? I have no idea. Well, it's funny because your story actually reminds me of a recent condensation. Condensation. When the grease of story drips into your everyday life. It was just this week. You see, it doesn't matter where you go. Even in the story daycare basement, alone, total isolation for weeks, the story's gonna get ya. It's hard running the daycare without the tots. We had to send all the children home. But you know what? I could swear some were still hanging around because someone was playing pranks. Ding dong! The doorbell would ring in the middle of any little thing I was doing. Repainting the kitchen wall, ding dong. Go out, no one's there. Washing my socks in the story sink, ding dong. Go out, hello, anyone? Nobody. I'm positive it's the tots at this point. Big Jim, TT, Husky, Henriette, they must miss Sister Callista. So I wait by the door. Minutes pass, hours pass, night, morning, waiting. Waiting for two days, but what does time even mean? Before I hear the doorbell. Ding dong! I rip the door open. Hi, kids! And no one's there. I'm thinking, maybe it isn't the kids. I mean, the tots aren't that spry. (laughs) That's when I see the package. About the size of a birthday cake, piled high with all the fixins. Hello? It's not heavy enough for a cake. I rattle it just a little bit. Something thumps inside. I bring the package in, set it on the lunch table. I don't remember ordering anything. I rip the brown paper wrapping, and then I notice. Hey, don't packages have labels? No address, no stamp. That makes me pause, but it's already almost open. (laughs) What's the harm? So I tear the last bit of tape, pull the flaps open, and look inside. It's a foot. I close the box. I walk away, and 
I just don't think about that box. The story gives people strength to live in the denial they need. I distract myself. I wash my socks. I paint the kitchen wall. But that box is just sitting on the table, waiting. A day passes. Another day. I don't think time matters, but it has an effect. Each hour that goes by, I have this desire to go back to the box. I saw it so quickly, I start to doubt myself. It wasn't a real foot. It was another prank, you dummy. I'm reassuring myself. It was just a surprise the first time. You're prepared now. So I go back to the lunch table. I flip open the flaps, and I look. It's a woman's foot. I'm not sure how I know that so quickly, but I do. I close the box and run to my corner where I stack the stuffed dolls and blankets I sleep on. I'm asking the story to scrub my dirty, dirty eyes. But the whole while, in the back of my mind, one thought races around and around. I know this foot. I can't say where and I can't say why, but I've seen this foot. The next day, I'm not scared anymore. The foot can't bite me. I make myself a bowl of butternut chunks and the milk is getting nice and soggy in the squash as I spoon it into my mouth. I'm eating and I open the foot box back up. I stare at it. (laughs) Yeah, it's a foot. Get over it, Sister Callista. (laughs) I'm eating my cereal right over it so I can look straight down. A little milk drips from my chin onto the big toe when I think, aha, Now that's how I knew it was a woman's foot. It has nail polish. Not that men can't wear nail polish, but I know this color, and I can imagine the person who would wear it. I feel like I know her. In fact, the more I think about it, I really know this color. I finish my cereal, and I go to the top cubby where I keep my few sanctioned possessions. I get my own favorite nail polish color, Tom Green. I unscrew the cap and hold the brush next to the big toe. They're the exact same color. After that, I go back to being afraid of the foot. All the questions I probably should have asked come to me then. Who sent this foot? Whose foot is it? Is this a threat? Is someone kidnapped? Is it even for me, or was it sent by accident? The next time I look at the foot, I touch it. It's not cold. Not as cold as I was expecting, anyway. I tap it. I hold my finger there. It doesn't move, though I find myself waiting for it to. It just sits there. I don't consciously realize what I'm doing when I wrap my hand around the ankle. There's enough for a good handhold. Then I cross my right leg over my left, raise the sole of my left foot, and line up the feet end-to-end like shopping for a high heel. The new foot and I are the same size. Exactly. I take off my shoes. I take off my socks. I put one foot on each side of the new one. Looking at my feet, looking at the foot, it makes sense. This isn't just a foot. This is my foot. The next day, I'm getting ready. I change my skirt for a fresh one, put on my socks, put on my shoes, take a step and I feel cold linoleum under my foot. I look down to see what's wrong, and sure enough, 
My right foot is dressed, but my left is bare. Meanwhile, on the table, the new foot is all dressed and ready to go. I start laughing. After so many days in isolation, with the foot there, it doesn't feel like I'm laughing alone. By the way, guys, thanks for letting me keep the story VCR. We don't have a lot of tapes, but it's nice to have something to take away the hours. (laughs) Just yesterday, I'm watching an old tape. I think it's face-off. And the funniest idea comes to me. I grab the foot from the table. I sit on the couch beside me. But then I worry, you goof, that's too low for the foot to see. So I stack a couple pillows and put the foot, my foot, on top. It feels right. After that, it's like watching the movie for the first time. I squeal when the first face comes off. I turn the foot away so she doesn't have to see. We both start giggling like a sleepover until... Ding dong! I run to the door and open it. But nothing's there. That's okay. I'm patient now that I'm not alone. I can wait for the next piece. Good story, me oh my. I'm feeling a little... Spooked! Spooked Spooked as heck. Story gracious. Also, where is that music coming from? Music? Yeah, during that last story, I I kept hearing music. Me too. (laughs) Just another story mystery, I guess. While we're on the topic of the creepies and the spookies, I have a little one for you that's gonna burn you like a boiling hot crow-crow. I'm driving home alone after hiking in Encino National Park with my main man, A-list celebrity congregant Jason Biggs. My 1993 champagne-colored Ford Taurus was filthy after I got it stuck in the mud on the side of the road. It needed a car wash. And fast. So I turn onto Franklin Avenue when traffic grinds to a halt. Now look, I'm in a rush. The whole time I'm wondering, how in story does someone get in a wreck in a 25-mile-per-hour zone? I'm gonna give this joker a piece of my mind. I creep forward... I see police lights. I see fire trucks. What remains of a hatchback is just a tangled knot of burning metal. The license plate says, Mr. Subaru. (laughs) You gotta be kidding me. Paramedics hover over what's left of a body. This guy is flat as a pancake, soaked with human syrup, if you know what I mean. A bubble of purple intestines spills out of a bruise in his gut. Now, I'm ashamed to admit this, but I am fuming from the traffic jam. When I inch past the ambulance, I roll down the Taurus's window and shout, Hey, how did this clown muck it up so bad? A paramedic stops and stares. This poor guy just got married last week. Show some respect. He zips up the body bag and heaves it onto a stretcher. I drive home in silence. I pull into the driveway And when I get out of the car, I see my Taurus is caked with mud. And as the owner of a Taurus, you owe it to yourself to keep your Taurus a spick and a span. But I only have $4 in my pocket. No way in story can I pay for a sweet wash and wax for my Tor-Tor. I go to the front door of the rectory when I see a flyer tucked into the door. On the flyer, in big text, get this, it says, Grand opening, his and her car wash. Tauruses get a free wash and wax. And underneath that, gratuity included. (laughs) In seconds, I'm peeling out of the driveway. 
At his and her car wash, a zitty teen takes the keys to my Taurus and bows with a flourish. We'll take it from here, sir, he says in a cracked tenor. I'm talking white glove service here. Inside the car wash is a glass wall so you can watch your car go through. Pink suds cover my Taurus's windshield in foam. They're wiped clean with the wet slap of industrial felt. No sweeter sound in the world. But the sound gets interrupted by a piercing tap, tap, tap. <laughs> tap, tap, tap. <laughs> the sound is coming from only a few feet away, so I follow it. It's a young woman crying at the cash register. She's tapping a sparkling new diamond ring against the counter. Tap, tap, tap. Snorting. <laughs> then letting out a pathetic wail of At first, I feel annoyed. But then I remember my outburst at the paramedic just an hour before. I take a new tack and try to cheer her up. <laughs> now you look like you could use a laugh, I say with my famous Pastor Andrew wink. I guess, she snorts. I got a good one, I say. Today, I'm coming down Franklin and you'll never believe it, but this joker, this real dum-dum, managed to crash his Subaru and die in this 25-mile-an-hour zone. I laugh. <laughs> what a dinkus, I cackle. The whole car wash goes silent. Her eyes well with tear, and she lets out a big and runs out. Everyone looks at me like I'm some kind of jerk when a strong hand grabs my arm and jams a set of keys into my palm. Take your Taurus and get out, he says. It's the zitty teen, eyes wide with righteous fury. If I ever see you again, I'm going to break your fucking neck, he says. I slink out of the car wash. As I open my door, I see a hatchback peel away. I catch the license plate. Mrs. Subaru. The whole ride home, ugh, I feel like puking. Why do I say dumb stuff like that? Brother Reed, Sister Callista, you ever say something without thinking then realize how awful it sounds? Happens to me all the time. I wasn't gonna sleep that night, no way, no how. Then I turn onto Franklin Avenue when Wham! Traffic comes to a halt. I keep my windows up as I drive past the wreck. I catch a glimpse at the twisted burning metal. And I can see what's on the license plate. Mrs. Subaru. The paramedic from before gazes at the body bag with a thousand yard stare. And I don't mouth off this time. That night, I'm laying in bed. Playing the scene in the car wash over and over, thinking in my head, if I could just go back, I think. Why do I see stuff like that? I go over everything I've ever felt guilty about saying, and at some point, I fall asleep. I wake up, and the room is pitch black. I have the sense that something's watching me. There's a corner of my room that's always darker than the others. Whenever I wake up, I get scared something's standing in the corner and I sense something there. Slowly, I reach over and click on the light. Clench my eyes. I open them. Nothing's there. I laugh at myself. I flick the light back off and stretch when I hear a strange noise coming from the kitchen. I try to ignore it, but it sounds too eerie, too familiar. 
Maybe it's just charms, I think. So I lean over and flick on the light, but it doesn't turn on. Now I'm feeling scared, I'll admit it. My heart is racing and I'm sweating. I try to will myself to sleep, but every time I shut my eyes, I hear that noise coming from the kitchen. Come on, Pastor Andrew, big PA, I say to myself. There's no such thing as ghosts. I gather up all my strength and get out of bed. When I open the door, the noise gets louder. I follow its familiar rhythm. I'm in the hallway, turning the corner to the kitchen, when I remember where the noise is from. Tap, tap, tap. My blood goes cold. The end of the kitchen is soaked in darkness. I swipe the wall to turn on the light, but nothing happens when I flip the switch. Tap, tap, tap. It shouts in the dark. My head is swimming. I'm hearing things. I'm sleepwalking. This is a nightmare. This isn't real. I'm here, a voice booms, and the light suddenly flicks on. I gasp and press myself against the wall. I close my eyes tight when tap, tap, tap. She hits her ring against the table. I take a deep breath, and I open my eyes. The woman from the car wash is at the table. A pink bit of brain fizzes from her forehead. One eye is lower than the other, sinking down her cheek. Her hair is caked with blood, and her front teeth are shattered. She gurgles, tapping her ring against the table. Why are you here? I ask. She begins to laugh, but it turns into a gurgle. Bubbles of blood expand from her mouth. I'm with you forever now, she whispers. I swallow hard. Please go, I say. She cackles. I try to speak, but my mouth has gone dry. At night, when you lay in bed, when you think of all the things you've said that you regret, the things you didn't mean to do, she goes silent. I nod. That's us whispering in your ear. I'm trembling. And when you wake up in the middle of the night, when you feel something there, something standing in the corner outside your door, on the ceiling or under your bed, I nod. That's us watching you. I feel a warm stream run down the inside of my thigh. She lets out a dry wheeze of a laugh, then whispers, There's always someone there. The window bursts open and the lights go out. Air spins around the kitchen and dishes crash to the floor. But it's over as soon as it starts. Then the light flicks back on. When I calm myself, I see a sparkling diamond ring sitting on the kitchen table. I stare at it, hair standing up on the back of my neck. When it rolls to the left, rolls to the right, then flies off the table and against the wall, falls behind the stove. I look every week, check to see if it's there, but I've never been able to find it. But I'll tell you one thing, Brother Reed and Sister Callista. At night, when I suddenly wake up and feel someone's in the room, I know someone's there. But hey, on the bright side, my Ford Taurus was a sparkling ay ay ay. <laughs> okay, okay, okay. I'm looking at both your faces and I can tell you're a little spooked and I'd be lying if I'm saying I'm not spooked too. I say we call it for the night and 
go our separate ways, and I'll see you guys in two weeks. And remember, the story must be told, okay? All right, get out of here. That was The Story Must Be Told, and Elba, Elba, Echo, Echo, Echo. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram, at TSMBTPod. We have accounts for the clergy, and Devin is on, but there's no time. Hotel, Hotel Julia, Indiana. Buy our stuff. Head over to Topedico.com and get yourself a mug. Get yourself a t-shirt. Get yourself a gosh darn pin, because the enemy's coming. Echo, they're coming from out of nowhere. Echo, Echo, do you read? We're gonna die! Rate and review us on iTunes, SoundCloud, everywhere. We need it now more than ever. Just like we needed reinforcements, but uh uh-oh, someone cut off the radio to home base. Ha ha. We'll be back in two weeks, and one of us will be in federal prison for treason because, ha ha ha, I gave the enemy our position. Because I'm a dirty coward, lock me up and throw away the key. Tell the guards to be nasty to me. There's blood on my hands and cowardice in my heart. Ha ha. Ba-ba-ba-baby. Uh, don't you touch a little dog. If you do, I'm gonna give you a talk. What? The story must be told. This show is made possible by listeners like you. Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com.